0: you can have people like president obama mm-hmm. who's black mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he still because his his father was an immigrant mm-hmm, here mm-hmm. migrated here or an immigrant here he still maintains that narrative of we're a nation of immigrants the the challenges when you bring in people like yourself people like kamala harris people like corey booker who did not immigrate right. here but they are descendants of enslaved people right, right. and so African Americans who are descendants of slaves disrupt the narrative of we're a nation of immigrants.
1: Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to 10. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. What up, folks? This is Leroy Barber, and this is the Sit Up Podcast. I'm here with my man and number one producer, Andrew Morgan, and it is good to be with you again. As usual, we are incredibly grateful for you following along uh, with this ongoing story. Today, uh, we are going to be talking to Mark Charles. For those of you that don't know him, he was a guest uh, on a sit up podcast last year. But we are bringing him back this year. Uh, Mark Charles is a Navajo, um, raised in the Gallup area, uh, has lived on the rez for a big part of his adult life, um, and is a proud Native Navajo American person. Here's the thing. Mark Charles is running for president of the United States of America. A Navajo is making a run at the presidency. And Mark Charles, after this interview, you will begin to see and understand why exactly he is doing this and what his motives are. And I don't know, maybe he will win your vote. Mark is, uh, convinced that he does not need any white land-owning men to vote for him to become president of the United States of America. Not that he will turn down your vote. Not that he's saying he doesn't want it. But he is not centering that in the conversation of his presidential run. So this will be fun, my friends. This is Mark Charles coming at us. I am Leroy Barber. This is the Sit-Up Podcast. Let's begin.
0: Hello, everybody. This is Mark Charles. I'm with my friend Leroy Barber. Uh, We're set up in a hotel room. Sorry about the bit of delay we had for the live stream. Um, Sometimes airplanes don't land the exact same time they're (laughs) supposed to be landing. But uh, Leroy is a good friend of mine. And let me just start by introducing myself. So, Yate, for those of you who have not met me before, Mark Charles, Yanish, Yeah. In our Navajo culture when we introduce ourselves We always give our four clans And we're matrilineal as a people So we, um, we always introduce our mother's mother first That's our identity of where we come from And my mother's mother is American of Dutch heritage Which is why I say Translated that means I'm from the Wooden Shoe people my second clan, my mother's father, is Toa Higlini, which is the waters that flow together. My third clan, my mother's father, is also Tsinbeke And my fourth clan, my father's father, is Toa and that's the Bitterwater clan. It's one of the original clans of our Navajo people. Um, I want to acknowledge that we are on the land, we're in New York City today, where I, I took a train up from DC, and Leroy just flew in from Portland, Oregon, and we're in New York City today, and this is the land of, of the Lenape and I want to honor the Lenape people as the host people of these lands. I want to thank them for their hundreds, thousands of years of stewardship they've had over these lands. Um, It's an honor for me to be here. I do not take the fact um, that we are on these lands for granted and it's, it's, uh, it's a blessing to be here, it's an honor to be here and I acknowledge the Lenape people as the host people of these lands and I thank them for their many, many years of stewardship of these lands. I'd like to give Leroy a little bit of time to introduce himself and tell you about some of what he does and uh, introduce some of the conversation we're going to have over the next 45 minutes to an hour uh, regarding this, this live stream.
1: Well, it's good to be here. My name is Leroy Barber, a good friend of Mark Charles, and uh, in New York today. And just, I'm I'm excited about this conversation. Uh, I am originally from Philadelphia, so I'm a little bit closer to home right now. I live in Portland, Oregon, uh, and I spent some time in Atlanta. So I got to shout out all those all those places and. Uh, yeah, just 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 good to do to be here with Mark. And so, I wanna I wanna start uh, by uh, I, th- I think the term "about us without us" is one that is is coming to life right now in this presidential campaign. That we are now seeing all of this conversation about. The African American vote, the Black community—who—who's getting their vote, who's not? How? What percentage do you have or not have? And you know, you know, one candidate, you know, Biden, who was way up, now he's down, and this kind of like we're hearing all these conversations, especially the last debate, yes. right? Yes. The last debate. I mean, it was like all these, all these, this whole, entire white stage talking about what to do with Black people. Yes. Right. And so, um, people know you uh, are running for president. Uh, you are not a white person. You are Navajo, uh, and I think, I think the first question I want to dive into is, one, what do you think about all this conversation around the, the black community? And and I want I, I want to specifically talk about that today because we do have a vote. We have voice. But not representation in, to so many, yeah. in so on so many levels. So
0: yeah, and that's my first question. Well, so and that's one of the challenges when, when it comes down to this, because when we talk about first in general, we'll talk about people of color, mm-hmm. and you'll have uh, Native Americans, African Americans, um, uh, Asian, Latinx, uh, all these other different demographics, people who are not white, the communities of color. Um, that exists within the nation. Mm -hmm. And there is a narrative that the nation has, that it keeps alive, which is that we are a nation of immigrants. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that that narrative is very important because it allows for the mythologies of America to remain intact. If America is a nation of immigrants, Mm -hmm. it means that everyone came over here migrated here seeking a better life trying to um, stake out their claim in these lands Mm -hmm. and that narrative fits for a lot of the people who are here there's two demographics that narrative does not fit and actually it excludes the first is not just black people Mm -hmm. because you can have people like president obama Mm-hmm. who's black mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but he still because his his father was an immigrant mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. migrated here or an immigrant here he still maintains that narrative of we're a nation of immigrants the the challenges when you bring in people like yourself people like Kamala Harris people like Cory Booker who did not immigrate right. here but they are descendants of enslaved people right right and so African Americans, who are descendants mm. of slaves, disrupt the narrative of we're a nation of immigrants, which throws off the, the mythology of this is a nation that values diversity and equality and freedom. And then the other demographic that disrupts that narrative <laughs> is Native Americans. Well, right, <laughs> our people, you know, because we we were indigenous to these lands. Our creation stories take place here, and so our presence on the stage or in the dialogue disrupts that narrative of we're a nation of immigrants
1: so are you saying you and i sitting here we disrupt (laughs) the american uh narrative we very much
0: disrupt the narrative and it's it's interesting that especially when when we talk about presidential politics Mm -hmm. and i've been in a lot of diverse spaces i've been in the in the majority when i'm with uh native communities Mm -hmm. back on the res or other places Mm -hmm. i've been in a minority among among I've been a minority among minorities, uh-huh. like when I'm right, in, in other right. um, ethnic spaces, and then I've been a minority among white spaces. Mm-hmm. And there I, I've the last nine months have been fascinating for me because running for president is one of one of the few spaces I've been in. I, I've been in a lot of spaces, it, but running for president is the space most clearly defined for the benefit of white landowning men. Hmm. Hmm. Everything about the process of running for president, whether it's how you get your money, whether it's where you begin your campaigns, Mm -hmm. whether it's how you interact with the media, whether it's who owns the media, whether it's who has the money, all these things were constructed to benefit Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. white landowning Mm -hmm. male Mm -hmm. getting into and ultimately winning this race. And so what's been fascinating is even when we have, and people will constantly point to President Obama as breaking through this glass ceiling and becoming our nation's first black president, mm-hmm. which again, yes, he did that. That was an amazing, um, that, was, that was a very good thing. I'm mm-hmm. very help, grateful that that happened. But because he was not the descendant of enslaved people, he kept the narrative alive, which is this narrative of exceptionalism and that this is a nation of immigrants. Mm-hmm. So so what would you... I, I mean, I,
1: I think that... <laughs> there's a whole lot to say about how the presence of a Native and Black person disrupts the American narrative, right? Yes. So, but how would you have a conversation with... The black community yeah. with voters who are black and are African American. Uh,
0: so yeah. So one of the things that I and I do this a lot when I teach. I've been teaching on the doctrine of discovery for a long time, and which is a lot of the basis of why I'm running for president. And one of the things I I like to do when I speak is I like to move the dialogue about race out of the silos that we normally put them in. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the way race was constructed, so the black race mm-hmm. was constructed um, in part through what's called the one-drop rule, right. meaning if you have a single drop of African blood, you're black. Mm-hmm. We had this rule because that, that multiplied the number of black people. Um, a one-drop rule allowed a white slave owner to rape his female slaves and produce more baby slaves. So the, the, the black race was constructed in a way to multiply the numbers. Hmm, mm-hmm. The American Indian race was constructed in part through what's called the blood quantum rule. Mm-hmm. You're full, you're a half, you're a quarter, you're an eighth, you're sixteenth, and you're bred out of existence. This construct of race was meant to diminish our numbers. Mm-hmm. The the US had treaty obligations to Native peoples. Um our presence disrupts the, the mythology that Europeans and mm-hmm. discovered these lands. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they wanted as mm-hmm. few of us as possible. Mm-hmm. And so because of the way those two races were constructed, what that did is it, it put the black white narrative mm-hmm. merely out of numerical senses at the center of the conversation mm-hmm. and it moved the native conversation way off to the side. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. and so a lot of people, and especially politicians, and if you listen to politicians, when they talk about race, Mm -hmm. the first thing they talk about is black, white, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. many people even call slavery the original sin of the United States of America, which again is not an accurate assessment of what went wrong here and again it highlights the the race that was multiplied Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it ignores the race that was diminished. Mm -hmm. When you look at the doctrine of discovery, these series of papal bulls written between 1452 and 1493, the church in Europe saying to the nations of Europe wherever you go, whatever land you find not ruled by white European Christian rulers. Mm-hmm. It's this doctrine that says those lands are yours to take, you can have those lands. It's that doctrine that is what empowers, enables, makes legitimate European nations going into Africa,
1: mm-hmm.
0: colonizing the continent, and enslaving the people. Right. It's right. the same doctrine that let Columbus, who's lost at sea, land in this new world, already inhabited by millions and claim to have discovered it. So this doctrine mm-hmm this dehumanizing doctrine of discovery, it's what's behind the white supremacy that led to the enslavement Mm -hmm. of African people, Mm -hmm. and not only the stealing of land, but ultimately the genocide of Mm -hmm. native peoples. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so teaching it from that level, Mm -hmm. what it does is it helps people understand that there's actually a lot of, there's a, a common root to our oppression. Right. And if we can begin to attack that vein, or or confront that vein, we can now actually get to the root of the problem. Now, the challenge Mm -hmm. with this, and this is the challenge between the African American community and the the Native community, Mm -hmm. is the doctrine of discovery gets laid out in 1823. And reaffirmed in 1954, 1985, most recently in 2005, the doctrine of discovery and the, the notion that natives are savages becomes mm-hmm. the legal precedent for land titles. Mm-hmm. To this day, Ruth Bader Ginsburg in 2005 writes an opinion in the Supreme Court, um, city of the, the, the United Nation of New York versus the city of Cheryl of New York, and uses the Doctrine of Discovery as the first footnote of the case, Mm -hmm. um, stating that natives, essentially because we're savages, cannot rekindle the embers of sovereignty that have long ago grown cold. And so, even in this century, the Doctrine of Discovery is being used to prop up land titles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, when the slaves were freed, one of the promises given to formerly enslaved people, mm-hmm. was the promise of 40 acres and a mule. Uh, unfulfilled promise. unfulfilled okay. promise. <laughs> but it laid out this vision, mm-hmm. this, you can have this piece of this, what they call the American dream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can be a landowner here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the not only was that promise unfulfilled, but it wasn't European people's land to give away. Mm-hmm, they stole mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, again, what it does is it it, it brought some of this oppressed community, African right. people, and now it held out in front of them, you can have a piece of what we have, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is the stolen land of Native peoples. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So, so, tell talk, so we didn't, I hear two things, I hear more than two things, but, so there's a conversation, I think you're, You're saying like, like black people, African American folks, Native folks, Indigenous folks, like need to have a conversation of their own, right? And that conversation is loaded because of land. It's loaded because of land. So, so lead us somewhere (laughs) around this, like, and I I know you can't answer that today, but like. But that is loaded, right? That's that's like this community that owned the land and, and natives got it stolen. This community and black people had to care for the land for free,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And now we're trying to figure out how either community gets any land rights.
0: What does it mean yeah. to, to to live here well? I don't want to use the word prosper. What does it mean to to live in these lands well with this history? And this is one of the reasons why the doctrine of discovery and native peoples are so marginalized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had a conversation on a podcast last week about some of these issues. And because the majority culture Mm -hmm. can summarize Mm African American oppression mm-hmm. down to labor, right? Hm. Which begins to allow them to possibly be able to quantify it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The number of people enslaved, the length of their enslavement multiplied okay. by hours—you can that. almost yeah. Yeah. quantify yeah. 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 a I number. Yeah. When you reduce it not down to the dehumanization, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. down to we stole this labor mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. you.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Ooh. the summary, and I'm not saying that's accurate, right. But this is what you're saying. That to, to that's do the math, math yeah. that's how you would do the uh, math. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because the other math, which is we treated you as animals, right. There's no price for that, right? Right. Right. So to begin to quantify it, uh-huh. Uh-huh. You, re- you summarize it and reduce it down merely to labor. hmm
1: mm-hmm.
0: Native peoples, again, we were genocide was enacted against mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. But an entire continent was stolen. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. And so even the thing they might be able to use to summarize that oppression, Uh which is the value of the land, Mm -hmm. you can't even begin to place a value on it. It, It's not even, you can't even come up with a number. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I love mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, the, 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 the Lakota people tried to teach this to the country when the the united states of america stole the black hills Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they stole these lands from the lakota people and then they they engraved the faces of some of their most genocidal presidents, Abraham Lincoln, onto these hills. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Later, when they realized they might not have done, acted very wisely, mm-hmm, they offered mm-hmm. to pay uh-huh. the Lakota people for these hills. Right, right, right. And the Lakota people said, it's not for sale. There is literally hundreds of millions of dollars sitting in a trust fund that the Lakota people are not touching because they said, no, these lands are not for sale you can't buy them, you can't pay them off.
1: And so they haven't spent
0: a and there's it's money. <laughs> nothing's happening. And so wow. again, so this is the challenge is yeah. when when prosperity, when capital mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is based on land, yeah. now suddenly what it does is it 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 requires this one mm-hmm. group of people mm-hmm, mm-hmm to constantly be at the at the bottom of the mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm, oppression mm-hmm. and i i, I don't want to make it into an oppression olympics but when you you know there's uh there's people's talk about what they would call proximity to whiteness mm-hmm. so if white landowning christian male
1: mm-hmm.
0: is the epitome, epitome of humanity mm-hmm. okay are the mm-hmm. it, it's the pinnacle of humanity in the white supremacist worldview, a right. white landowner right. Christian male, right. okay? Right. Right. So, everyone else can gain avenue into that through mm-hmm. proximity. Mm-hmm. You are not white, but you are male, mm-hmm. and you are a Christian, mm-hmm. and if you work hard, you can own some land. Right. 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 So, there's one glaringly yeah, omission, so, uh-huh. uh, which right. is you're, you're not white, but right. all these other ways, you're male, you can be Christian, and you mm-hmm. can be a landowner, mm-hmm. you have access in. Mm-hmm. If I live on the reservation, okay, mm-hmm. I can, I'm, I'm a male, mm-hmm. but I'm not white. If I'm on the reservation, because those are trust lands, I can't be a landowner. No equity in that. But I can be a Christian if I reject my culture. Mm-hmm. I could possibly, I could be a Christian. And so I have two, maybe three avenues into uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. Uh, women of color they're not male. Right. They're not white. If they work really hard, they can be landowners. And they can be Christian. The right. group of people at the bottom. Yeah. No access into the system. Mm-hmm. Native women living on reservations. Wow. They're on a reservation, so they mm-hmm. they, they on um, the land. They count on the land. They're natives, so they're mm-hmm. not white. Mm-hmm. They're... Um, they, uh, if they're on the reservation, there's a good chance they're mm-hmm, traditional mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not um, a Christian. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because they're on a reservation, they can't own land. Mm-hmm. And so they have no access into the system. I'm wearing my hair in a, in a CA tied with red yarn. Mm-hmm. And the reason I do this is to remind myself, even when I pray and I, I'm tying my bun and I pray, about the crisis in any country which is missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Where hundreds, thousands of indigenous women have gone missing, been reported murdered. Not only have their cases not been closed, Mm -hmm. but in many cases, they haven't been opened. Mm -hmm. And again, this is the the demographic that has the least or no proximity to whiteness. No avenue into the white landowning Christian mm-hmm. male so
1: so, what would you so it seems to me that an easier path for white supremacy right is to deal with black folks right who see them as owner and then they can get their 40 acres in a mule mm-hmm. from them without a conversation with you, yes. right? And, and I'm talking in generalities, obviously. Yes. So, are you are you are you saying now? And, and again, I want to get back to this uh, um, about us without us, right? Yes. So, are you? And, and tell me if I'm wrong. Are you saying as part of what you're trying to bring out as you run for president is to have this conversation usurp? white landowning folks and bring this conversation between communities that are oppressed to at least figure out some kind of way
0: forward. Yeah, so there's two things break that I'm, down for me. There's two things I'm trying to do here. The first of all is I'm refusing to acknowledge the mythology of American exceptionalism,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is rooted in the lie of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And American exceptionalism is what leads to language like white white privilege. Mm-hmm. White privilege implies what white people have is a blessing that needs to be shared. They have land, they have resources, they have access Uh to power. uh These uh are blessings. uh They have this privilege. They just need to learn to share them. Uh uh That's inaccurate. The reason they have things that the rest of us don't Uh have is not because they're privileged. Uh It's because of white supremacy. White privilege makes it sound like it's a blessing to be shared. The reality is it's it's a racial oppression Mm-hmm. That needs to be confronted. And so I don't call it white privilege, I call it white supremacy, and I don't want it. And I don't think it's healthy for mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. of us to mm-hmm. have it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If 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 having what white people have means oppressing people beneath you mm-hmm. so that you can have something better or different. Right. Right. That's not something I want mm-hmm. or I want to strive mm-hmm. for. And mm-hmm. so the first mm-hmm. thing is to stop putting whiteness on a pedestal. Whiteness is not something to be strived after. Mm-hmm. It's not right. something that I'm yearning for. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's actually, <laughs> it's not healthy. <laughs> uh, and so by not subscribing to the notion, to the mythology of American exceptionalism, and not allowing people to refer to it as white privilege, or at least correcting them gotcha. and saying it's, that's not what it is, hmm. it begins to re- understand it more accurately. But then second, and this is why I'm running in 2020, is I, I, we've mapped out a way where I can actually not just get on the ballot, mm-hmm. not just change the dialogue, but we can actually get to the White House the number of votes to win this election mm-hmm. while decentering whiteness. <laughs> and I actually, I remember one of, you know, in conversations, especially with white men, of mm-hmm. telling them, my path to the White House does not go through you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so I, I would love it if you vote for me, but I am not going to tell you the things you want to hear mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and affirm your own notion of exceptionalism mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. merely to get onto your platform or to uh-huh, get your uh-huh. money or to get your vote. And so, everything we're doing in my campaign is about decentering whiteness. Now, I'm clear to people, I'm not trying to oppress white people. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to, to mistreat them or dehumanize them, but I am adamant I'm gonna move them from the center in every possible way to the margins where the rest of us exist. Mm-hmm. Now the challenges mm-hmm. are not the challenge, but the reality is is so your people, mm-hmm. African American African people brought here and enslaved, my people dehumanized through both through this doctrine and discovery. We understand this dehumanization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we've been mistreated, our people have been mistreated, and we see that oppression. The challenge is, is on a level, whiteness is a dehumanization as well. Mm -hmm. Because what it it does is it elevates white people to a level that they are not capable of sustaining. Mm -hmm. It elevates them to something that's not human. Right whether it's because of power or prestige mm-hmm. or wealth mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not I, i've said mm-hmm. before you can't earn a billion dollars you can't right you cannot you can you can steal a billion dollars mm-hmm. you can corruptly take a billion dollars you can cheat but you can't earn a billion mm-hmm. dollars mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to get a billion dollars you have to find a way to Underpay a certain group of people and to cheat another, like you you can't Uh earn a billion dollars. Uh Uh It's just it's it's not possible. Your your labor is Uh not that valuable. You have to find a way to underpay people to cut people out of this thing and to To work. You can't earn it. Yeah. Wow. And (laughs) so, and so. And so what white supremacy does is it puts white people in this unsustainable Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, space, mm -hmm. which is not human. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes, if we have white people up here and and people of color down here, we think the goal is to be up here. Uh uh That's uh not true. This is not a sustainable place to live Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. to have your reality. Mm -hmm, So yes, mm -hmm. we probably have to lift up people of color out Mm -hmm. of the oppressive Mm -hmm, state that mm -hmm, they're in. Mm -hmm. But we also have to lower Mm -hmm. the space where white people are into (laughs) Uh a space where we all can just be human. Uh Uh If we try to get up to where white people think they are, Mm -hmm. that's not a sustainable space. That's not a space where humans Uh can occupy. Humans can occupy
1: that space, that's cool.
0: And so (laughs) we can't all be billionaires. Uh You can't earn a billion dollars. This you stuff. have Before to we're, oppress we're somebody to get that much money. <laughs> so, so
1: I can I can I can I can hear the the bells going off for people as he's talking. Right. So you you just said I got to go back to this. You just said I I figured out that I can actually get elected president, decentering whiteness, counting on just people of color.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: And you've done that work.
0: So, Native people, you know, people are going, "What is this guy?" I've been campaigning for nine months. Uh Native peoples, Native peoples, and to be to become president as an independent, I'm running Mm -hmm. as an independent. You need signatures in all 50 states. Mm -hmm. We looked at the number of natives over the 18 in the last census, 2010.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We compared it, this was early on in my campaign, we compared that against the number of signatures required in the 2016 mm-hmm. election cycle, mm-hmm. which is the mm-hmm. only numbers we had fully for. We're barely getting the, all the final numbers for 2020. Mm-hmm. We found in every state, mm-hmm. the number of natives over 18 exceeds the number of signatures required. So Indian country alone Can get has you on the potential every ballot. to put me on the ballot in all 50 states. So that doesn't get me elected. right? Now, when people hear my message, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: African-Americans, Latinos, Latinos, um, Asian-Americans, women, LGBTQ, Mm -hmm. Native peoples, a common experience, women, a common experience all of people, many people have when they hear me speak, Mm -hmm. is they can identify the moment when they realize at a very deep level that we the people did not include them. Whether it was in, in elementary school, mm-hmm. in college, in mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. job, in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Everyone who's been marginalized has mm-hmm. this experience where they realize this system was not built mm-hmm. to include mm-hmm.
1: them. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That large group of people uh-huh. is finds my campaign attractive. And there's enough people there to bring that Mm-hmm, message mm-hmm, to the national mm-hmm, level, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's still doesn't get me elected. Uh-huh. The group of people, well, so the so Then there's media. Well, no, no, we'll do votes first. So votes, right? The number of votes to get into the White House, again, just people from the margins uh-huh. isn't enough. Uh huh. Millennials are the largest voting bloc in the country. They right outnumber now? boomers. Yes, they outnumber boomers. Uh-huh. And millennials across racial lines mm-hmm. have been screwed economically.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They were told, "Go to college, mm-hmm. get a good education, you'll get a good job." Mm-hmm. They went to college. While they were in college, we changed the rules on them. Mm-hmm. We jacked up education prices and we changed lending, and so they came out of college with tens of thousands of dollars in debt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there were no jobs. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So they're, they're, they're. You know, there's teaching adjunct at some community college for 350 bucks mm-hmm, a class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's no jobs. But they're creative. They're mm-hmm. driving the gig economy. They're buying cars by driving for Uber. They're affording houses by right. by by renting their bedrooms out on Airbnb on the weekend, you know. They're they're running the gig economy. Uh-huh. They're they're freaking out Wall Street by investing in cryptocurrency. You know, they're they're decolonizing the system and they have an inherent value for pluralism. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Now, they're terrified of becoming their parents. <laughs> Millennials uh-huh. are the first generation born to parents who had felt the full freedom of interracial marriage. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. The LGBTQ and the, and the, and the, the, the freedom of, of people who do not define Th- themselves the, in the yeah, binary yeah, yeah. way have grown more able to express who they are Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the last 20, 30 years, and millennials fully embrace that. So while their parents are at the Supreme Court fighting for the right to not bake cakes for people they theologically disagree Mm -hmm, with, mm -hmm. millennials are just like, cool, myself or even my friends can marry the Mm -hmm, people they actually mm -hmm, love. mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm.
0: They're terrified of becoming their parents. Now, I haven't done the actual stats, but I'm willing to bet that outside of the 1%, -hmm. The majority of wealth in our nation is owned by boomers. And in the Uh, last, in in the investments, land, Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. retirement savings,
0: the majority of wealth outside the 1% is probably held by boomers. And in the last tax reform they passed two Mm -hmm. years ago, Mm -hmm. boomers laid a trillion dollars worth of debt onto millennials but they did something very shrewd, which is they lowered inheritance tax. Hmm. And so millennials right now, one of, one of their only, the reason they're not part of the political discourse uh-huh. is because their only financial asset is their debt. They don't own anything. And so they're being ignored politically. Interesting. And so, but because of what they happened in the last tax reform, in the next 10 to 15 years as boomers die off there's going to be a massive transfer of wealth Mm -hmm. from boomers to millennials Mm -hmm. wow that would be interesting i tell and so millennials right now they are decolonizing the system right they're not joining political parties they're not joining denominations they're not working for corporate america Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. like you guys are all divisive and colonial and they're Massive-aggressively decolonizing <laughs> the world around them. <laughs> and this is across racial lines. You have nearly as many white millennials as you have millennials of color right. drowning in debt because right, of right, what right, happened right. In, in education. And so I tell them, we have 10 years. Uh-huh. <laughs> and if, if we don't make systemic change in 10 years... Uh-huh. The moment you get the wealth from right. your parents, right. you will now become them because now you will need these white supremacist, racist, and sexist institutions uh-huh. to prop up your wealth. Right, right, right. This motivates millennials to get engaged. Now, the group that gets us huh. publicity, mm-hmm. okay? The group that gets us to bypass media because mm-hmm. media is very crucial. Media forms the narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gen Z Mm-hmm. Gen Z doesn't know the world without high-speed internet. All right. Yeah. Proximity means nothing to them. Physical mm-hmm. proximity. They are they virtually network with their friends and, and people all over the globe. Mm-hmm. Now, if millennials understand they've been screwed economically, mm-hmm. Gen Z understands they've been screwed environmentally.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Millennials are passive aggressively decolonizing these systems mm-hmm. that we have. Gen Z is like, oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. They are using their ability to network globally to raise issues up to the forefront. They organized a global climate strike just right. a few months ago right. without right. going through the networks, <laughs> right. without asking right. their parents and white landowning men permission to uh-huh, talk about uh-huh, these uh-huh, things. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. They have social networking. Mm-hmm. Virtual networking is the air that they breathe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're freaking the world out because mm-hmm. of their ability to, to connect and to get their message mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. without going through these these lines okay. of communication right, established right. and controlled by white landowning mm-hmm, men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if we can get millennials on board through the environmental crisis or through the, the economic crisis and we can get Gen Z on board through my environmental policies, then not only do we have the numbers Mm -hmm. to get them, but one of the reasons I'm running in 2020 is because even today, you can have a global audience Mm
1: -hmm.
0: for the price of a library card (laughs) and some of your privacy. Right. Yeah. You can have a global audience. So,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. You have to know how to do it, mm-hmm. but you can mm-hmm. actually do it. And mm-hmm. that window is not going to remain open. I promise you, white land men are going to find a way to meter that and close <laughs> that. And they'll uh, do it in the name of privacy and right, safety and blah, right, blah, blah. But right. they will find a way to control that. But at the moment, it's not. And so there is the potential, mm-hmm. if we get Gen Z on mm-hmm, board, mm-hmm. that we can get national even global mm-hmm. media and exposure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. without paying. I mean, Michael Bloomberg is three hundred million dollars in advertising already.
1: Wow! So you, so here, so you're saying millennials, Gen Z, POC, right? People and other marginalized communities and marginalized communities, right, can band together. To decentralize whiteness, to put whoever they want to put
0: in the White House. It's possible. This is why I'm running as an independent, Mm -hmm. and this is why I'm running in 2020. Mm -hmm. Because I think there is an actual path Mm -hmm. that lets us get to the White House. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, what are you, what are you... And we got
1: to do this again so that (laughs) folks can hear your hear some of your policy stuff um so let's let's wind it down but i want to i'd like to wind it down with maybe an invitation right you you uh you just i think i hear you put out an invitation that you you don't want to have this conversation about communities of color you want to have it with communities of color yes and so that invitation is out there right so if you're a part of the African american community if you're a part of the asian diaspora community if you're a part of like if you're native uh if you're latinx latino latina you want to talk
0: yes and i i want to help people understand how so much of the oppression in this nation stems from this doctrine of discovery this this mythology of american exceptionalism this lie of white supremacy and again if we can stop fighting these battles in silos Mm -hmm. and begin to to actually understand what connects these Mm -hmm. challenges Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that we're all facing and again it's not about oppressing and just giving to white people what they gave to many of us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's Remembering their humanity as mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't want to mistreat them. I am adamant I'm going to decenter them. And so again, I just want to be I want to live in a world uh-huh. where we don't have a group that's superior and a group that's superior. I want to live in a world where we learn and are able to treat everyone as human. Nice. And I think we have an opportunity right now. Again, in his last State of the Union, President Obama was talking. He was lamenting the divisiveness that he experienced while he was in office. Mm-hmm. As a black man sitting in an Oval Office that was literally constructed and constitu- constitutionally protected for white landowning men. Mm-hmm. And he ran into all kinds of right. divisiveness and roadblocks right. from right. the things he was trying to do. And he was lamenting that in his final State of the Union. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the need in our nation to have a new politics. And he said, we the people, he quoted the Constitution, he said, we the people, our founding fathers began our country with these three simple words. Words that we've come to recognize mean all the people. Mm -hmm. Now he said that, and that sounded beautiful, he got a lot of applause for that line, but... As I heard him say that, I asked myself, when, when did we decide that? The Mm -hmm. founding fathers did not believe we the people meant all the people. Mm -hmm. I gave a live stream yesterday on the legacy of Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, a blatant white supremacist and genocidal president, did Mm -hmm. not believe Mm -hmm. we the people Mm -hmm. meant all the people. As good as the Civil Rights Movement was, it did not get us to, we the people meaning all the people. President Trump does not believe we the people means all the people. The problem is, is as a nation, Mm -hmm. we have never made a decision that we want to be a place where we the people actually means everybody. And my campaign is about calling the question. Mm I don't want to debate anyone's humanity. I don't want to have a discussion of who's superior and who's inferior. I want to say we've talked about this for long enough. People know what's on the table. We have to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Do Mm -hmm. we want to be a place where we the people means all the people? If we do, Mm -hmm. we have to start dealing with our foundations. I'll just give you one example of this. Mm Reparations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Reparations. There is debate going on right. in the Democratic Party right now about the need to pay reparations, reparations, and I do not disagree with that. I think it's a very healthy and a necessary conversation. Mm-hmm. I believe reparations need to be paid to the descendants of enslaved people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, if you read the 13th Amendment,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what it states is neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime... Right whereas the party has been duly convicted still exists within the United States. We've never abolished slavery. We've redefined and codified it under the jurisdiction of the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. And to this day, for every five prisoners held globally, Mm -hmm. one of them is in the US. Mm -hmm. One of every five global prisoners is in the US. We incarcerate our citizens at the highest rate of any country in the world, and we incarcerate people of color at three to five times Mm -hmm. the rate that we incarcerate Mm -hmm. white people. Mm -hmm. And so, when you settle a class action lawsuit, if you're a part of a class right. action lawsuit and uh-huh. there's a large corporation and they finally agree to it, admit that they did something not fully correct, they want to uh-huh. admit guilt, but they uh-huh. didn't do something right, and the, a, a payment is dispersed, uh-huh. you go to get your piece of that, whatever uh-huh. it may be. Right. Until Before you get that piece, you have to sign a document almost every single time mm-hmm. that says, I promise that this is now put to bed. I give up my right to sue about this individually. um, uh, I give up the right to to pursue further litigation about this. This issue is over. Mm -hmm. If Mm African-Americans, the descendants of enslaved people, allow white America Mm -hmm. to pay for the sin of slavery before they actually abolish it, I can almost guarantee you it will never get abolished. It will never go away, yeah. So while I do not disagree with the dialogue on reparations, mm-hmm. if that is not coupled with the dialogue of we need to abolish slavery, mm-hmm. I'm very concerned about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, no one in the Democratic Party is talking about that.
1: No. And, and do you think we'll get to a point in history where there... You talk about millennials, you talk about Gen Z,
0: where... They, there will be opportunity to change things like that. Well, this is what my campaign's about. Again, I'm saying if we want to be a nation where we the people means all the people, one of the first things that we have to do,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we have to abolish slavery. Mm-hmm. Which means... We t- have, t- to, t- we have t- to take that clause out of the 13th right. Amendment. Right. Yeah. and I, I, It's unbelievable. I am running as a candidate in 2020, mm-hmm. and one of the primary planks of my platform is I want to abolish slavery. hmm <laughs> Think about that. Right. <laughs> I'm running for the president of the United States of America, and one of the primary planks of my platform is I want to abolish slavery. Hmm. The fact that I have to say that makes me want to weep. Makes Yeah. nauseous. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. This, this, is, this is where, as much as I appreciated President Obama's words, we've never had that conversation. We've never agreed as a nation. That we want to be a place where we the people means all mm-hmm, the people mm-hmm. if we want to do that we have to abolish slavery we have to do something about land titles mm-hmm. we have to do some foundational level work on our foundations and that's what this campaign is about and the great thing about this and this is my appeal to people of color because I know I'm talking about challenging things I know I'm talking about paradigm shifting things I don't even need you to vote for me right now But if you can help me get on the ballot through donating to my campaign, through signing a signature in your state, to helping me get on the ballot, you don't even have to decide to vote for me yet. Hmm. But if you can help put me on the ballot, you can make sure that this dialogue Mm -hmm. continues throughout the entire course Mm -hmm. of this election. Mm -hmm. Right Mm -hmm. now, Mm -hmm. because the Democrat and the Republicans run their primaries through the states of Iowa and New Hampshire, they've essentially removed all the people of color yeah, from absolutely. their not only their debate stages, but even from their actual pool of candidates. Mm-hmm. Tulsi mm-hmm. Gabbard's the only one who's barely hanging on. Mm-hmm. And so the nice thing is, is because I'm an independent and I'm not underneath that oppressive white supremacist system, my campaign, as the pool of Democratic candidates gets smaller and wider... Mm-hmm my campaign becomes more visible. <laughs> so we're actually seeing an uptick uptick in our But you keep breaking all the right rules. Now. Well you just told people they don't have they don't have to vote for well, you right not now. yet. That's not how you run a campaign. I have I have nine months to convince them to vote for me. <laughs> yeah. I just want to stay I want to get on the ballot <laughs> right, right, and stay in the conversation. Right,
1: right, right. right. No, I, I I I'm saying it <laughs> facetiously that <Matt. laughs> That people need to know that you're serious about the things that you're talking about, yeah. right? And so I, 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 admire that, and I think, um, I think folks, if you want to keep this conversation going, um, talk with Mark Charles, get him on the ballot. Um, he he's not looking for your vote this moment. He might be later on, but uh, right now he wants to keep the convo going. So. Um, I think I think I think that's a conversation worth having.
0: Mark Charles, twenty twenty com. Go online. Our goal, fundraising goal for this month, it's fifty-one thousand dollars. That lets us cover our campaign expenses for the month, as well as pay a thirty-five thousand dollars fee mm-hmm. to get my name on the ballot first and foremost in the state of Oklahoma, Very a cool. state that has thirty-nine native nations represented in it. A state that that that. Is very significant mm-hmm. for Indian mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we're also working on getting me on the ballot in Utah uh-huh. and in Oregon right now. Uh-huh. Oregon, uh, Oregon. Uh, I, can, f- I can get on the ballot. If I have a rally with a thousand people and we get signatures, I can get on the ballot in the state of Oregon for a uh-huh. thousand. Y'all hear signatures. that, Oregon? A
1: thousand folks at a rally, we get Mark Charles on the ballot. That sounds like some work we can get done. So this Thanks, is man. what we're doing. Thanks for letting me come on uh, uh,
0: uh, and uh, speak to your audience and, yeah. and sit through a uh, conversation with you. I appreciate it. I hope to have you on more. I love the dialogue, and I want to I continue having this kind of conversation. So thank you, Larry Barber. Thanks. Thanks for, uh re- for being a part of this discussion. Thank you, everyone, for joining the conversation. Live life
1: like you know the clock's ticking. On your park, get set, ready. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin.